Okay, we're back for Rogue Table Talk. What is this? 104? 104. I got a 104. 104. 104. Uh, I got nothing for 104, but it's a lot. I was uh, just thinking, two who, years. In the, who in the Bible has, has lived to 104 years old? Like somebody lived to 104. Right. At um, least. Right. right. Uh, Melchizedek was uh, something. Uh, Jehoshaphat is was something else. Methuselah. <laughs> Methuselah he like, like 900 or 900 something. 900 and something. <laughs> yeah, he was just learning to drive. He was just getting his driver's license at 104. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, so hard still, to comprehend. He was still at home playing video games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Uh, we could do one rogue table talk episode for every year of Methuselah's life, and we'd just be getting started. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we are, and we're still we're we're um, we're talking about just loving our neighbor, um, basic Christian command, like maybe the most basic: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, and all of the law. And all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. And um, I'm going to put an idea forward that we're not doing super awesome on the love your neighbor part. Yeah, just uh, in general. I'm just throwing that out there. It's a hot take, you know. Uh, <laughs> we'll let that roll around. Um, yeah, I just think there's so much that divides. You know, we're just a very divisive time in our culture, obviously. Uh, we've got um, issues of race and how to handle, you know, what do we think of critical race theory? What, what, you know, do, what do we understand critical race theory to be? And part of the, part of the, I think part of what we run into now is terms are thrown around and people are using them differently and, you know, mean different things by them. And, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're used to accuse other people of something and so on and so on. So, but you've got that. You've got, um, you know, you've got a, a sort of us-them dynamic that often develops around, um, you know, the differences between men and women. You've got the Asian, you know, hate uh, sort of stuff going on. You've got, and then I even got to politics, which is, you know, probably the biggest uh, area that's intertwined with all of this stuff. Um, you've got, you know, people still, I think they're, the Republican legislature in Arizona is, you know, they're going back to recount the votes again. Uh, and I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't exactly know what, what the point of that would be, but, um, uh, but that's, so it's, you've got, you know, even among those who would identify as conservative or on the right, you've got people who believe, uh, you know, the election was stolen. People don't. Uh, and then, if the, of course, the standard right-left stuff you've got. And then you've got the whole virus, you know, the whole gamut of virus responses. Uh, the super right. careful, the it's, you know, it, it's just a sniffle. Um you know, all the various claims of it wasn't that bad, not that many people died of it, um, you know, 
pretty overblown. Uh, you know, masks don't do anything. Um, you know, uh, government has been overreaching. Da 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 da. And then on the other side is super deadly. Everyone should wear masks when they're outside walking the dog on a sunny, breezy day. Um, right. You know, beaches should be closed. You know, so you've got, and they become this sort of, I don't know, entrenched places from which we view the rest of the world. And that seems like I'm sort of exaggerating a little bit, maybe, but not a lot. And there's probably other issues. I'm. This is just off the top of my head. Um, that, you know, have just so dominated 2020 and, and early 2021, uh, not even, you know, January 6th is in there and all of that. And all of that has impacted the church, uh, our churches, this church, your church, and Christians, and families, and friend groups, and you know, friends want to get together, but so-and-so doesn't want to wear a mask, so-and-so insists everyone should, you know, so we're not going to get together and all of that stuff. And in the midst of all of that, that's like the context for, we're just going to have a, con you know, sort of a theological conversation about love your neighbor. <laughs> right? Which is what we would yeah. do is let's, ex you know, let's look at the Greek and let's understand deeply what it means to love our neighbor. It's like, yeah, we're not doing it very well. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, we, yeah. they're just, we, the church writ large, we're, it doesn't look like we are. It doesn't feel like we are. So I'm just throwing that out there. What do you, what's your response to all of that? Yeah, I, we suck in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanks no, for I joining us. <laughs> Uh, I think it's, um, and, and, you know, I, I do believe everybody has kind of their position, their stance. I mean, whether you're to the super cautious of, you know, I, I wear my mask when I work out outside, you know, I run mm -hmm. or whatever, or I, I don't, and I don't think we should, I don't wear one walking in a restaurant and then mm -hmm. to even to sit down. Um, everyone has their position. Um, and so I think, I don't know if I would just say this, I don't know if anybody's doing a great job at loving, like, I don't think the the right is, I don't think the left is, I don't think the white is, I don't think the black is, I don't think the progressives, I don't think the cons I just think everybody's like, there's so much animosity with your, the villain, your evil and our ways salvation. And now it's all, it's just so splintered and entrenched and there are evil things that have happened and I understand that. Um, so I don't want to be insensitive to that and the loss of life due to COVID is a, is a significant loss. Um, and yet it seems like we're all falling prey to the temptation to violence, verbal violence, hostility, um, name calling, blame shifting. Um, I just, yeah. So, and, and then we're the church. So, I, when I think I hear sometimes hear Christians talk like, oh, almost there's this implicit, well, the church is separate from the culture. And I'm like, yeah, but the church on one level is the people and all of us are in the culture. Mm -hmm. We're in it. Yeah. And the culture is in the church and we're in the world. And so there's no you know, distinction between what you experience and what an unbeliever experiences because we're in the world of politics and journalism and social media and 
culture together. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it may have been easy to have a Bible study on love your neighbor 10 years ago. And now I don't think it's going to be easy because it's going to, it's going to, I'm going to have to really decide what do I do about my rights? We said this, I've, I've preached this. We said this for years and years and years. Loving your neighbor means laying down your rights. But now nobody wants to hear it. Right. That's just, I'm just saying yeah. what I, what I think. We said it forever. That was really easy to talk about. Now it's like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> yep. That might cost me something. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's so, um, it's so basic and foundational Christianity, but it seems so at the moment countercultural, uh, and, and counterintuitive, counter, counter like my inner momentum. Yeah. I just want to protect myself. I just yeah. want, I mean, I just wanted to go back to feel comfortable. Yeah. 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 And then we, so we, then we blame the other party for not, you know, for my not feeling comfortable. Um, I, I do think, you know, part of this is, um, you know, I don't know what order to go into this, but it's not just all of these differences of opinion. It's that, but we're angry. We're yeah. angry with each other. Like it's an angry, I am a right to denounce you because I am correct and you are wrong and your wrongness is harming fill in the blank, a church, me, family, uh, and so I have sort of a right to sort of take up arms, you know, or whatever, and fight for my family, fight for my community, fight for the culture. Uh, and I think that's not just something that's happening, but I think a lot of people in the church sort of, in a sense, feel justified to fight the good fight. Um, and, you know, kind of contra that, I want to, uh, this is the end of Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, and that sounds pretty different from what we were just talking about, uh, yeah. that we see those around us that are potentially our, I mean, these are the people who turned against Jesus, the crowds that, you know, rejected his message that needed him and didn't, you know, didn't want to submit. And when he saw them, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that, I think in the context of all we were just been saying, it's that, you know, that sense of, do I have compassion on all of these different people, including the people that are not in my box of virus interpretation or mask interpretation or politics or whatever, that when I look out over all of my community and all of my church and all of my neighborhood, do I have compassion for them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? And I think the answer is 
everything else is crowding that out. It's like not like we no longer think that's a good thing. It's just so far down the list. You know, everything else crowds that out, and we never get around to thinking them of them as people that we're so, called. So, what to love. what do you what do you think crowds it out? Like why why now why why so much anger? Yeah. I, you know, I've thought a little bit about that. I don't think it's new. I think the intensity mm-hmm. is new. I think, mm-hmm. I don't think 2020 directionally changed a whole bunch of things. I just think it accelerated a whole bunch of things. Like, I don't think we were great at loving our neighbor in 2019. Right. And then everything changed. Uh, in March of 2020, I think we weren't probably very good. Now, it's sort of, kind of was a time of choose. Like, it's a time of choosing. And I have to then consciously choose, I'm going to prioritize my Christian identity, my the identity of being in the body of Christ, of being adopted in the family of God. I'm going to choose to prioritize my missional calling to be a minister of reconciliation. Or I'm going to not do that, and then by default, I'm going to be swept down the cultural you know, because the distance between my calling and what culture is pulling me is is now pretty stark. And if I don't do this and don't keep doing this, I'm going to get pulled down the, those people are ruining our country. Those people are ruining the economy. You know, those people are racist. Those people are sexist. Those people, those people, those people are bad things. They're the bad people. Of course, good people must fight against the bad people. That's sort of the default what we get pulled into and then we feel good about, Hey, we're fighting the good fight against the bad people. And I don't, I think a, that's pretty ineffective and B it's just not, I mean, it's not what Jesus, I mean, these are the people that end up killing him and he knows they're going to end up killing him. Like he's not going to be surprised by that. You know, he's whatever, 18 months out from these people turning around and killing him. He has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless. Uh, and I think that's what, you know, we're, Paul says we have a ministry of reconciliation. You know, that we are to be the reconcilers. Uh, and when we can't reconcile to our, the people, you know, in our own church, or we choose not to, uh, we're sort of abdicating our mission and our identity, our biblical identity in favor of. And I just think, and I just think we're in a point now where the distance between those two things is big enough where you have to work at the one or you're going to get sucked into the other. Uh, I think that's that's kind of how I understand the last year or so. Everything widened, accelerated. I agree with you. I just think the, the, the stress and the pain accelerated the, the where we were already headed as in the, in the postures and the culture. Uh, where we were to go. And to me, I think of two things and, and they're not going to sound really positive, but I think uh, it's hard to, one of the things that crowds out compassion is the experience of powerlessness. And I think there's many people in this country who um, grew up feeling powerless and know what it's like to feel more powerless than others. And uh, maybe they've learned that muscle, but for many people, with the government regulation saying you can't open this business or you have to wear a mask or you can't go to a concert. Like we're just not used to that. Nobody's used to that in this country really. So 
uh, or, or, or on the majority. So now there's these um, sense of powerlessness, like, well, I can't do what I used to do and someone's going to tell me I can't do it. And I think the response internally for people is very jarring when that when you mm-hmm. hear that, and you feel that that's a that's, you know, to be somewhat compassionate on all of our responses. That's a hard thing to deal with yeah. if you if right. you haven't faced it, especially if you've been living 60 to 70 years and you have not had the, the you know, the state or the uh, federal government say this is what you can't do to that yeah. to that degree. Yeah. Obviously, there's laws, um, but. So I think that's part of it. I think when we feel powerless and we feel like uh, someone's over us and we don't get to have a say, that's really hard for people. Um, the The other thing I think is when I think about what this reveals about the church and what is it is indicative of, I would just say it, it actually reveals that we weren't as spiritually mature as we thought we were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We thought we were really, the church in the West thought we were incredibly spiritually mature because we had a crap ton of information coming our way, available to us, the next conference, the best speaker, uh, and you can listen and do all of your private devotions all you want, but in the ring, uh, it reveals that we're just not very spiritually mature, we're spiritual adolescents um, at best, um, if, we, if, we can't, if we can't work this out um, with each other first like with each other that's the the call to unity and reconciliation and agree to disagree but like have compassion with each other and then that's a witness to the world um so that's that's kind of my two takes from what you were talking about i just think yeah of course we we thought we were (laughs) thought we were deeper and um maybe further along than we actually were yeah, those two things are probably related. I think there's a lot there. I do think the powerlessness is a big part of our emotional response to the situation in its powerlessness, probably on a number of levels. One of them, as I've thought about it, is I think we didn't reckon with the possibility of something this disruptive could happen to us yeah. in America. Yeah. Like, this is a not something. And I do think that's behind a little bit of a, this isn't really that big of a deal. We're making too big of a deal of it. Is, you know, I think some sort of subconscious belief that this can't be happening to us. You know, it's 2020. You know, we've got medicine. We've got whatever. We've got all of this technology. You know, we can't be falling victim to some virus. And I think that, uh, that, the sense that we are dependent people not in control of our destiny is a very you know is a very central christian belief yeah. or teaching or theology i shouldn't say belief a very central christian teaching and theology but i'm not sure we really believed it in america or had to believe it and when push comes to shove we have to kind of goes to your second point we're not as mature as we thought we were, we have all sorts of resources at our fingertips. And that's been sort of the depressing part of being in church ministry for a long time. And then you come, you would think, well, I would, I would have wished we could have handled this better. And I don't mean like Mm -hmm. a church leadership decision-making. Of course, I would have wished we could have done, you always wish you could do better. But I just mean as Christians who people I've known for decades, 
I just feel like, I mean, part of me is just, man, really? Uh, is that yeah. where we are? Uh, and, and just as I'm, as we're thinking about and, you know, how do we, how do we move forward as a church? And I do think one of the things that we need to wrestle with, and it's a hard thing to wrestle with in the church is how do we measure spiritual maturity and spiritual growth? You know, we have programs, we have classes to take, we have steps, you know, get in a group and serve and all those things are fine. And because we can measure those things and we, we have ministry events and a men's retreat and all of those things are good things and we need to do them. Uh, I think because it's hard to measure growth, we tend to equate activity in those things with growth. And what this reveals is those are not the same things, obviously, that people could be in the church doing all those things. But when spiritual maturity is required, it's not there. Uh, And so, you know, are we becoming more like Jesus? is really the question of spiritual maturity. Am I more patient and kind and loving? Do I have compassion on my neighbors because they're harassed and helpless? You know, like a sheep without a yeah. shepherd. Is that the stance I, I, that I, just, I have toward them? And I, you know, yeah. we just haven't done that well. We haven't done that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I get lost, so it's fair. But we've lost the plot on the ministry of Jesus. And we have somehow taken up arms, quote unquote arms in his name. And it's like, well, we got to fight for Jesus. And it's like, Jesus told Peter to put away the sword. Yeah, Jesus laid his life down, right? Laid his life down. He went and got right. himself killed. So I think it's, it's look, to me, I always come back to what is the ministry? What's the template of the ministry of Jesus? And what did he model for us? Uh, he wasn't simply a model, but what did he model in his uh, relationships with others? How does he how does he show God would live if he were on the earth? And I'm not saying better times then, worse times then, now or whatever, but there were still divided times then. Uh, sure. You got Rome and you got the, the Pharisees and you have um, religious freedom restriction, elite, non-elite. So, uh, but he navigated that world with compassion, love, mm-hmm. um, interacting with the other um yeah so i i think we have lost the plot and i think we feel like it's our fight as if we're like protecting god but it feels like we're just protecting self that god doesn't need protecting mm-hmm. right. god doesn't need defending um right. that's that's yeah. not to me that's just not how i see the bible laid out yeah i think that's right but i do feel like we're actually fighting to restore or regain or enforce a culture in which we're more comfortable. Uh, And I'm not necessarily saying a culture in which we're more comfortable is a bad thing. I'm just saying that's not our, that's not the point of our ministry is to have a, you know, have a cult to work for a culture in which we don't have to worry about our children when I don't think that's actually a thing. Like, you know, your, your children will have difficulty. Your children are going to need to, you know, depend on the Lord. You can't do it for them. Your children are going to need to learn to walk in brokenness because there's no other way for anyone. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that for them. It's not even possible. 
uh, the church can't do it, you know, uh, and, and I, the only, the way to make that more likely is if I'm doing it, if I'm walking in brokenness and dependence, because I do think your powerlessness point is such a good one because we want to control our environment and that our environment has felt out of control for most, most mm-hmm. of us, most of the time. And that has kind of a fight or flight, you know, response and so on. And it, you know, it is time for us to step forward as a church and have compassion on those around us to pray as Jesus says to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send harvesters so that these people can be reconciled and that these people can find the gospel. Of course, we're going to be some of those harvesters. We're called to be some of those harvesters and we're called to pray, uh, and I just think um, we're sort of, I don't know, we, our stance sort of indicates the opposite. And so I think it's, it's dangerous in a sense to talk about loving your neighbor and we translate it into here's four steps to take. But if the stance of my heart is these are the people that are ruining our culture, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> then it, none of the steps are going to work. And I probably wouldn't do them anyway, right? And I think yeah. that's the main thing: is these people are not our enemies, uh, and if even if they are, we're called to love our enemies. Uh, but you know, because they're on the other side of the political issue, doesn't make them our enemies. Uh, if they oppose us personally or whatever, because we're Christians, or well, then we're called to love them, and they were never called to fight against them for some cultural something or anything. Uh, and I just think, hmm, that's a tough message. That's a tough message to hear. It's a tough message to give. And it sort of dovetails with a lot of, you know, we need the church to speak out against fill in the blank. Well, it's a tough message to, to give and hear because you're just kind of accused of being soft. Um, and it's like, well, I guess if that's true, then God came and was soft and pretty vulnerable. Um, yeah. And right. subject. We just we just taught on suffering and evil this past weekend, and God subjected Himself to moral evil, to natural evil, to cosmic evil. He su- subjected Himself to all these things um, because of His great love for us. Uh, so that he could redeem and fix everything that has gone wrong and will go wrong so he can restore evil. But to me, he also showed us the way that the true path to salvation is through death and suffering. It is, and and, and it's hard to hear, but it's not through um, control and power as we typically perceive it. It's power to lay down our life. It's I mean, I just, again, lost the plot. Let's go back and read the Gospels. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Yeah. I, I, I just think, uh, well, not, not in this case. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. There's a way in which I'm going to try to maneuver that so it doesn't apply to me in this situation. Or we don't even uh, hear it. We don't care anymore. Like, yeah, yeah we don't. Yeah. I don't have a response because I'm still I'm not doing that. pretty pissed. Right. <laughs> and I just, I think those people are wrong. Therefore, I don't have to do it. And you, again, we've lost the plot where Jesus was not saying, you know, these Roman soldiers are pretty much in the right. So whatever 
you know, whatever they ask you to do, you should do it. You know, the, the assumption is they're not in the right and they're treating you unfairly. They're, you know, you might be justified in striking them back, but don't do that. You know, that's sort of, that's yeah. the idea. And uh, that just feels so counter to the times that we're in. And I know I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about, and I'm, I probably sound a little dark uh, and, and depressed. A uh, little bit I am, but, you know, because it's not everybody, of course, but, you know, you just look on social media and you hear people talking and, and there is this sense of sort of factionalization. Who's right? They can't make me do that. Uh, you know, they shouldn't say that about me. And in some cases, I might agree, but that's, again, where we've lost the plot, where that should not be what's what's monopolizing our heart and time and mind. Um, yeah. That, And I just think, again, so I need to grow in Christ-likeness. This is what Christ-likeness looks like. It's having compassion for the lost. It's praying for them. It's, you know, being a minister of reconciliation. It's being, you know, the power of the gospel is the power to be transformed. As you've said, uh, you know, the power to suffer and well to, you know, to grow in Christ-likeness and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I mean, it makes you smile. You're saying this list of, of the fruits of the spirit and you're like, yeah, that's not, the fruit store is sort of barren here at the moment. <laughs> you, look yeah. around, you look around, you don't see a lot of self-control or gentleness or, or anything. You see a lot of, I'm right. And therefore we yeah. need to do this, uh, whatever, whatever that is. Um, and I do think, like I said, that's the pull of our culture that if we're not working against it, um, we're going to get sucked down that hole and it doesn't matter. You could be a pastor, you could be in church all your life, um, and it's just, it is sort of all around us. Uh, so I do think that, you know, again, that's a sense of, I mean, so that's a sense of powerlessness, which is actually good in a way that I need to sort of submit to the fact that on my own, I'm not going to manage that well, that I need help. I need intervention, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I need the power of the gospel to change my heart because otherwise I'm not going to have compassion on these people. You know, because yep. I think they suck, as you said. Right. Well, it's a good call for for all of us. Just um, I think the starting place is just repentance and mm -hmm. confession. Like you said, OK, I'm not compassionate. So what do I do? I repent. Yeah. I pray. I ask God to change my heart. That's a great starting place. Um, mm -hmm. I think that and gets then us pray for the right direction. Pray for my neighbors. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, you know that's as we do that that's probably one of the methods he uses to change our heart but uh yeah i do think a, re a reckoning with our own heart and our own you know our own level of spiritual maturity and just a brokenness about our own you know not the culture not the society not the country but our own hearts um is the way forward uh, and that hopefully is the path to be having compassion uh, and to loving our neighbor um, so maybe we'll land the plane there um, that you know we are called to 
acknowledge our, our, our lack of control, to submit in humility and brokenness, to ask God to change our hearts, to give us compassion for those around us because they're harassed and helpless like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd, uh, and to pray for them and that we need his help to do that. Uh, so let's seek his help in that way uh, this week. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.